Welcome to Parenting with Pam, with me, your host, Pamela Query. I am a certified hand-in-hand parenting instructor, and I am here to help you keep your cool while still getting your kids to cooperate, so you can parent in a peaceful way and actually enjoy being a parent. That means no more endless negotiating, lecturing, or explaining, no need for threats, bribes, or consequences, no more daily yelling. So if you want to create a peaceful home, I'm here to show you how. Hey, welcome, dear parents. So today I want to talk to you about my seven ways to keep your cool when your child is pushing your buttons, when your child is struggling, whenever they're really having a hard time, when they won't or can't do what you want them to do, when you're in those conflicts, when you're like um, really head to head, things aren't going well. Um, they've got some big emotions or they're frustrated or they're upset. So, and I think the biggest gift that we can give our children in those difficult moments is to be their calm in the storm. So not to join them in the chaos, to be able to stay centered, to stay in our own lane, to stay um, in our in our own awareness and to be present with them without getting pulled into the drama. And I think this is really and it's not easy it's not easy at all but I think this is our parenting superpower whenever we can come to a situation like that with calm um, and then we can really be confident we can be the confident leader for our child that our child like really really needs in that moment so if we join them in their upset and join them in their frustration their meltdown their drama then what happens is that both our limbic systems go into this fight or flight or freeze response and neither of us can think well and nobody's going to be able to regulate their emotions very well so so because whenever our children are struggle struggling whenever they go off track that what's happening on in their nervous system is that they're going into this fight flight or freeze mode so they're getting flooded with adrenaline they're getting flooded with um stress hormones uh, hormones the cortisol and then they, they can't think well, their whole system gets overwhelmed and they can't think well. So we have two choices and they're not always choices. But we have choices in um, let's call them choices for now. In those moments there are two ways that we can respond might be a better way of putting it. That um, the first one is that we can we can join them in the chaos so we can get we can start to um, you know, we think about this idea of co-regulating. So we can co-regulate with them in their chaos, in their fight or flight, join them in that fight or flight mode where we get flooded with um, emotions as well. We get flooded with our um stress hormones and then we can't think very well either so we're both in this sort of chaos together the other option is or the other response is is to pull them into our orbit to pull them into our way of thinking and our calm nervous system so we can influence them and pull them towards us and have create this calm um this this ability to be calm for both of us um so um you know without getting swept away by what's going on with them um and if we aren't able to stay calm uh, that's when we i think that that's when we really start to take things personally when we start to view our child as the enemy um and we can often very much lose perspective we can get swept away by thoughts like you know my child is manipulating me they're doing this on purpose they should know better what is wrong with them how dare they behave like this like i've done everything for them and now they're acting like this um, and it could be 
situations like you know getting dressed in the morning whenever you know that you're running late and you've told your child that you're running late and they just won't get their shoes on they won't get dressed and suddenly it's you versus them and you're in this conflict with them like why won't they just do this thing and um, they're, they're doing this on purpose they're so inconsiderate or whatever comes up for you in that moment it could be more directed towards yourself and like I'm not doing this right I'm useless why can I not do anything right so whatever that story is whenever we get swept away by that story we're not much help to anybody um, and it is so hard I know it. it's so hard not to get drawn in but that's exactly what will be most helpful to your child in that moment if you can stay as this compassionate observer it's like you're looking from above and you're and this calm leader in your family, you're not getting drawn into the drama, uh, then you're going to be more helpful for everybody. So I want to talk today about seven ways that you might be able to do that. And I wish there was just one way. I wish there was just a really simple way that you could just, um, you know, stay super calm, super confident, support your child in those moments and then just move on with your day. Um, but it's not that simple. Human beings, we're complicated, emotional beings. Um, it can be really, really difficult in those moments. So it's not simple. But these are seven things that I have found really helpful um, and that many other parents have found helpful as well to um, stay centered, to stay calm in the moment and to really be there to um, to be the leader, to be able to parent your child, to be able to support them in a helpful way and in a way that is actually going to build relationship and bring you closer rather than uh, whenever the conflict takes over and you end up damaging or eroding that relationship or eroding the trust there. So, um, you know, in whenever we use more conscious um, processes and more conscious methods, then we can really be that leader that our children need. So let's talk about that. So the first thing I would say is that perspective is everything. So, and this is really how that we view our children's behavior. So if you think for a minute, when you're in those moments, I know it's different whenever you're feeling calm and, and um, you know, you're one step removed from the situation. But whenever you're really in the thick of it, like, how do you tend to view your child's behavior? Do you see it in terms of, you know, good behavior and bad behavior, you know, when they're struggling? And, you know, most of us were raised from this perspective that um, children are generally, um, you know, don't know how to behave they're unruly, they're uncivilized, and that we need to teach them, we need to guide them and teach them um, uh, how to behave properly. And often through this system of, you know, uh, punishing bad behavior and rewarding or reinforcing good behavior, that somehow we have to control their behavior. So I invite you to change perspective from that way of thinking a little bit. And I've talked about this a lot before in previous episodes, but you know, if we can come at this, we can remind ourselves in the heat of the moment to come from this viewpoint of relationship-based and connection-based parenting, then we can really shift our entire perspective. So um, if we can look at our children's behavior that, you know, instead of saying, you know, this child is misbehaving, your child isn't misbehaving. They are a small person who is, they are just signaling for your help. They, they, it's, you know, it's very hard being a child. Um, they're learning about the world. They're learning how to interact in the world. And they are often flooded with these big emotions. They are very emotional beings and they can't fully, um, they aren't fully competent with understanding their emotions. 
Um, and often all that's happening is, is that they have some big emotions that are getting in the way. And it's your job to help them sort through those emotions so they can get back on track. So um, I invite you to shift your perspective. And this is a practice in the moment because we can understand these ideas at uh, an intellectual level. But as soon as things get difficult as soon as things as conflict comes in there and as soon as we start pushing against each other and we meet our child um, our child meets us with this resistance then we can very quickly go into this sort of control I must control my child I must teach them that this is not okay and that I must punish them I can't let them away with this behavior so we can very quickly get into those kind of thought patterns so for me it is a practice to shift away from that and to remind myself that I am good, my child is good, we are both doing our best in the moment, and we're both, uh, you know, what they need most from me is my support and my understanding, my empathy. So what I try and do is I really try and shift my perspective into the viewpoint of what's going on for my child and how I can help them rather than being sort of oppositional. So how can I really understand what's going on for them? And how can I focus on the relationship and focus on this strong sense of connection so that they can really, um, so that, that I can really help them. Um, and it's, that's the thing that's really gonna shift their behavior when I come from that perspective rather than this adversarial approach. So things that really help me shift into that perspective is, um, you know, thinking about moving away from thinking, you know, what is wrong with you and shifting over to, to this way of thinking of how can I help you? I remind myself, my child is good. I am good. Nobody has done anything wrong here in this situation. That's a little mantra I often use whenever I can, whenever I can feel myself um, getting uh, carried away by the situation. I tell myself, I haven't done anything wrong. My child hasn't done anything wrong. We're both just having a hard time. So um, and then that's the thing, if we think, you know, how do if we come from that perspective that, you know, my child is having a hard time, what do they need? They need help. And, you know, ask yourself, you know, do you punish someone who's having a hard time or do you help them? Like what's what's actually and I know in our society, a lot of times people are having a hard time. We do punish them, uh, but that rarely brings out the best in them. And what really helps, and if you think of yourself when you were having a hard time, if you think about a time at school, a time when you were young, or even a time in your adult life when you were at work and things weren't going well, did it help to be punished? Or did it help when somebody actually really understood you and said, you know, what's going on for you? How can I help you? I get that you're doing your best. Um, how can I help you out of this? And that's that's what works best is whenever everyone's got their reasons for why they behave the way they do. And when we can understand those reasons, um, and get into the emotions behind the behavior then and understand them and support them then everything goes better um so and this is the thing it, we need it's it's sounds simple but whenever we're really in the thick of it it can be really really hard to come from that perspective so that's why I like to sort of um use these little mantras that you know um I'm good my child is good I've done nothing wrong. They have done nothing wrong I, because we need these constant reminders. And what we're really doing when we do that is we're really rewiring our neural pathways that, um, you know, that these neural pathways that were laid down in childhood that keep bringing us down this path that we have to control our children's behavior. And every time we step back 
and ask instead, how can I help you? And see our children as good children that just need some help. Then what we're really doing is we're rewiring those neural pathways. And we need to keep doing that as a practice. We need to keep reinforcing those pathways. And as and the more we reinforce them, the stronger they'll get. And the more we'll be able to return to those pathways. So, and I think it's really important in those times, the times that we do choose this new pathway, um, just to really appreciate ourselves and celebrate that we've been able to do that, because that's a really, um, I think that's a, a really difficult thing to do. And, and we won't do it 100% of the time, but even if we do it 10% of the time, that, that's huge. That's a, something to really, really celebrate. Okay, so that's the first thing is really changing our perspective on what is driving our children's behavior and what's driving our own behavior as well. So number two, I would say, is to lower your expectations or, you know, have appropriate expectations for the stage that your child is at. And, you know, it's it's so different. Children are so different that, you know, one child will be capable of something at three years old that another child won't be until they're much older. So we can't look at the age. We can't judge it by the age of the child. We need to judge it by our own child, what their capabilities are, you know, what their story is, what their background is um, what they need help with what they are you know what their strengths are what are the things they struggle with and I really see so many parents who you know they get so frustrated because their three-year-old won't put the toys away by themselves or their five-year-old won't go upstairs and put their pajamas on by themselves or you know they have a six-year-old or seven-year-old who still can't fall asleep by themselves and I see so many parents struggling with this um, and I think that as well as this um, culture of control, controlling children that we were all brought up in, and it's still very much around us. We also have this culture that believes children should be independent very early, from a very early age. They shouldn't be dependent on us. We're encouraged to separate very quickly from our children. Um, and, you know, we need to, if we don't teach them these skills young, then um, they they will always be dependent on us, or they'll be somehow weak, or they won't be able to cope with society. Um, and I think that that is, the, in fact, the opposite is true, that the, the, the more we can stay in close relationship with our children, the stronger an attachment that we, an attachment relationship we build with them. And whenever a child is a very secure attachment, then when the time is right, they are able to go out into the world. And if a child is struggling over and over again with something, then this is really a signal that they need our help. Um, and it, it's really normal for young children to struggle with all sorts of things. And even as adults, we do things so much better when we're with other people and we're doing it together and we have help. We are designed socially to work together on things and to be together and to be in close relationship. Um, so I think that we all work better when we're collaborating and doing things together and, and making it fun and enjoying time together. And I think the thing is as well that it's um, it's it's really, really hard because I think part of the reason that we feel this urge or feel this need for our children to become more independent from us is that we don't have enough support, that it's really, really hard work parenting. And if only our children could get dressed by themselves without our help, then that would take the pressure off us a little bit more. And whenever we're trying to meet all of our children's needs, when we're trying to be, you know, to physically meet their needs and also to be their mental and their emotional and their um, spiritual and their intellectual support, then it's really hard to provide all of that. 
that you know the, the, and I always talk about this but this idea of, of the, the village that we need to raise children that often that falls on the shoulders of one or two parents so we don't have enough support and that makes it that we often direct that towards our children that we push them to, into being more independent from us than what they're ready for um and you know I think a good example of this is is with sleep and with bed sharing that in this western sort of European culture that I'm in that we have lost that culture of bed sharing but the vast majority of people around the world share beds um, and children share beds with other children and with adults from the time that they are born right up into adulthood um, and this is really really normal so I think that it's it's our culture when we're brought up with it uh, in it it can feel that that's the norm but actually it isn't so often uh, the root of a lot of these struggles can come from things that are actually are culturally not appropriate to us as humans so um so that is something really to to consider and it's absolutely okay if children can and do sleep well in their own beds um but if your child is is, is struggling with that maybe it's just too soon maybe they just need that closeness and need that to, to feel us close by in order to feel safe. Um, so I think it's important to look at those expectations, what expectations we have of our children. Um, and our high expectations can really cause so much conflict. Um, and I think the best way, and people are always asking, you know, they want to know at a certain age, what should a child be capable of? And I think it's better just looking at your individual child. And it changes from moment to moment as well. So one day your child will be able to do something independently and the next day they're going to need more help. So I think it's just the, the best approach is to be very much child centered, to look at the child in front of you in that moment in time. And, you know, you can invite them or you can ask them, can you go up and get dressed by yourself? And if they aren't able to, then, you know, shift your expectations. That's what they need in the moment. If they need your help in the moment, then help them and, you know, uh, put away those judgments of yourself or of them, you know, that they um, they should be doing this by now. And, and, you know, what will people think that my child still won't brush their teeth on their own or whatever it might be? Um, I think that just meet your child when where they're at and help them and support them when they need it, if you can. And I know that a lot of it comes down to your own capacity. And if you don't have the emotional capacity to help them, that's absolutely OK. Um, I really get that. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit later, what you might do if that is the case. And um, so the thing is that in those moments, your child is just being a child. And if something isn't working, we tend to blame the child. But that doesn't make sense. Um, I think a, a good way to think about this is that if we have a house plant um, and it's not doing well, the leaves are gone floppy or yellow or they're dropping off or the, the, the plant is shriveling up and dying, um, that we don't ever blame the house plant. We don't, you know, give it a good talking to and say at your stage of development, you should be really doing better and you should be taking better care of yourself. What we always do is we look at the environment that that plant is in. And we change its position, we add more water, we add more nutrients and um, whatever we need to do to take better care of that plant. So I think that if a child is repeating, is, is, is repetitively struggling with the situation, then instead of looking at the child and saying, what is wrong with you? You should be doing this in a different way. Then we need to we need to do the same thing for a child as we would for a plant. We need to look at the environment that they're in to look at the relationships that they have with us and with others in their lives 
um, and really look at, you know, is the problem directly with our child or is the problem with the wider environment that that child is in? Is there something about that environment that that isn't working for them? So, for the example, with, with sleeping, is it just is it the problem with the child that the child can't fall asleep on their own or is the problem that um you know, the child just needs closeness and they are, you know, our physiology has evolved in such a way that we need a lot of physical closeness with other humans in order to feel safe. So is that is that all that the child needs? And we, when we meet this need for closeness, then um, the child is is actually a very good sleeper. Um, another example might be with school, that if a child is really struggling a lot to get ready for school, um, to get dressed in the morning, to get out the door, to go in through the school gates. Um, often, you know, the focus is very much on what is wrong with the child. Like, why can't they get ready? What is wrong with them? And we can start to employ different um, techniques to try and get them ready and to try and get them to comply and get them to cooperate. But I think it's really important. And, you know, they, sometimes children do just need that bit of encouragement. They need to feel that extra bit of safety and extra bit of connection before they can go out into school and get on with their day. But sometimes we need, if there's a really strong reaction there and really strong resistance, instead of putting the blame on the child, we need to look at the situation that they're in. And is this, what is it about the school or about the childcare that they aren't confident they don't feel safe there and they don't feel like that's where they want to spend their time um so you know have have they got it wrong or have we as as a society or you know have we got something wrong to expect children to fit into this system um and i know that often parents don't have a choice in terms of um, what school their children go to or you know the what teacher they get that year or the relationship that, that, that they have and this can be really really difficult but I think it can just be really helpful to shift that persp perspective into what is what does our child actually need and are their needs being met and um, and is there something in their environment that isn't right for them rather than putting the focus on them and always trying to fix them if we see our child as, as a whole and what what do we need to, to put around them to actually support them um, rather than trying to change them in some way? OK, so <clears throat> that was number two, lowering, lowering or changing our expectations, having appropriate expectations of our child. OK, so number three is around welcoming strong emotions in our children. So whenever a child is struggling with something, um, often we can shy away from those big emotions. Often we can um, want to, you know, if, if frustration comes up, if tears come up, if upset comes up, we, our automatic reaction is often, oh my goodness, something is seriously wrong. We need to stop these emotions. We need to shut it down. We need to distract them. We need to fix them. We need to avoid the situation at all costs. Um, and sometimes that looks like not setting a limit because we think, oh, no, if, if I set this limit, they're going to get upset. I'll just do it the easy way and sort of work around it as best I can. Um, so um, often we avoid these big feelings. But the thing is that we don't have to avoid our children's big emotions, that part of being human is having this full range of emotions. And the more, you know, whenever we can allow our children to feel all the emotions, the, the, the tricky ones, the difficult ones, the anger and the rage, the frustration, the grumpiness, um, 
all the way through to um, joy and happiness and excitement. Whenever we can allow our children to feel those full range of emotions, then they are being human. They are being fully human. And the difficult thing is that when we were children, most of us, um, some within those spec that spectrum of emotion of emotions some of them were not allowed for some of us many of those emotions weren't allowed that we just sort of had to remain on this sort of um neutral kind of not showing any emotions that if we showed anger or frustration that was frowned upon or sadness or tears that was not allowed and even at the other end of the spectrum showing big feelings of excitement and joy and exuberance were not allowed either and they were shamed and shut down and we were just expected to be seen and not heard um, and not to feel emotions not to bother people not to be a burden on anybody by having emotions so because often most of us were raised in that then it's really hard for us to be with our children's emotions it feels really wrong it feels really dangerous it feels unsafe for our children to feel all these emotions but at the end of the day they're just that they're just emotions they um they don't define your child they come they go it's part of being human it's part of understanding you know uh, children understanding the world around them and it's okay for them to feel those emotions we don't have to shy away from them and when our children have big um, emotions of upset or frustration we can just stay with them we can just be with those emotions and validate them rather than dis dismissing them um and Whenever we do that, we can allow our children to move through those emotions, to fully feel them and experience them and then come out the other side um, with, you know, feeling calmer, feeling more willing to cooperate. Um, uh, yeah, feeling more flexible, because when we don't allow those emotions, we put a lid on them, we shut them down and um then that leads to more problems because they're sitting on this pressure cooker of emotions and they just want to keep popping out all over the place. So, um, yes, yeah, so that's number three is just welcoming those strong emotions. It's okay for your children to really feel them. Uh, number four is to take time out for you. Um, so this is in the moment because like I said, when our children feel these big emotions, especially things like rage and Frustration is a really hard one for me. So is grumpiness. I really find grumpiness hard to be with in my children. And, you know, we weren't allowed to be, we certainly weren't allowed to be grumpy as children. That wasn't acceptable. We got that message. Um, so, um, the, I, so it's really important to take time out for you whenever you start to get swept away by these big feelings that your child is having. Um, and, you know, obviously I don't I don't believe in timeouts for children, but they can be really helpful for for adults to get offside before you get to the point of losing it. So the, the trick here is noticing it as early as possible and to try and do something to take a timeout for yourself, to get back into balance, to get your perspective back, um, to remain calm. Um, and there, there's lots of ways to, of doing that. I've talked about some of them already is one of them is just changing your perspective and reminding yourself that I'm good. My child is good. They're not doing this on purpose. They're not trying to wind me up. Um, there's lots of other things that you can do in the moment. You can you can step outside, get some fresh air. Um, a great one is actually just um, lying flat on your back 
whenever you lie flat on your back or on your front lying, just lying flat down on the floor um, you're giving this your body this really strong signal because you can't be in flight or fight mode whenever you're lying down you can't run away you can't fight when you're lying down so it, it kind of like and takes your system out of this fight or flight mode because you're lying down. And so that can really shift things for you. Now, what I would say is that when you're in this, when you're heading towards fight or flight, um, for some people, they don't get any warning. You're just gone. One minute you're fine. Next minute you're just taken over by fight or flight. Um, and, you know, so, so it's really hard. It's almost impossible, I think, to get yourself back from that whenever that happens. So the earlier you can notice it, the, the better it's going to be, the easier it's going to be not to get to that point of completely losing it. But it's it's a really, really difficult thing to do to pull yourself back. So but a few points down, I'm going to talk about ways it's much easier. The prevention is much easier, like not getting to that point, um, because when you're at that point, it's really hard to pull yourself back. So that's number four, taking time out for you to try and bring your system back into balance. And that leads on to number five, which is around taking care of your own nervous system. Now, this could be in the moment or it could be at other times of the day. It could be um, once the kids go to bed that you notice that your system is so frazzled all day long that you're really on very much on high alert. So it, it's it's about bringing you, trying to bring your nervous system back into this balance at different times throughout the day, whenever you get a chance. Um, because the calmer you can you can be, the more help you'll be to your child when they're struggling. And we've all heard this um, this saying about you need to put your own max oxygen mask on first. You, you're no use to anyone when you're stressed out, when you're on high alert, when you're in fight or flight mode or freeze mode. And um, whenever you're totally frazzled, you can't be patient with your kids. You can't be calm with them. You can't you can't take that different perspective whenever you're just like. You know, your whole body is telling you to, to, to run or your whole body is telling you to go, go in there like ready to fight. Um, you can't be that calm um, for your children. Um, and the thing is that we live in a society that is in like a constant state of high alert, a constant state of fight or flight and um, with so much stimulation. Um, so I think that we need to actively fight for our nervous system to bring it back into balance. So there's loads of proven strategies to bring your nervous system back into balance again. Um, I'll mention some of them here. Um, different things work for different people. Um, so I think it's it's really good just to try different things. The first thing is really noticing that your nervous system is on high alert, that you're feeling anxious, that you're feeling strung out, you're, you know, you, you're um, not able to be present, uh, that you're in fight or flight mode and then you can start to find ways throughout the day or even when the kids have gone to bed to bring your system back into balance so a few things that I've found really helpful is one of them is yoga nidra you can get loads of um guided yoga nidras online and you can listen to and it's just about it's all just about relaxing your body relaxing your nervous system you just listen to somebody talking you through it relaxing different parts of your body that's really helpful there's also um any kind of breath work. There's different breathing exercises like box breathing, lengthening your exhale are really, really helpful and will, will slow down, calm down your nervous system. Movement is really, really great because for some people staying still and listening to yoga nidra or doing breath work is, is too much when their system is very activated. So um, 
movement can be really helpful. Dancing, stomping your feet, shaking your body. And um, you might enjoy Qigong practices, which are like um, movement practices and um, Kundalini yoga as well. Any of these movement practices that um, you're really discharging this energy from your nervous system. For some people, it's being in nature, being outdoors in nature, beside the sea um, in a forest, in a park. Um, being able to see the horizon and um, being up high all those things can be really calming for the nervous system um, another one is just having time to do nothing um, and getting enough sleep um, and then another really big one is, is to really look at the things that are stressful in your life and um, sometimes you can't do anything about these things but having that awareness that the, these things are having an impact on your nervous system uh, can give you can give you a good perspective and you know if you don't have secure relationships if you don't have secure housing if you are in food or fuel poverty if you're in financial insecurity then that's very activating for your nervous system and it's really really difficult to um to be calm and to be patient and you know to, to be present with your children whenever you've got these big worries and big stressors in your life. And sometimes it's that's just how it is and there's there's no way out of it for a little while. Um, and, you know, that's a really, really hard place to be. And, you know, I think that you just have to focus on, on getting through the day as best you can when your system is in high alert because um, there's so much instability in your life. So big love to you if that is the case. So, um, Number six is recognizing when you are triggered and get emotional support for that. So um, I've talked about, you know, noticing those times whenever you're getting to the edge and, you know, your, your system is becoming very activated. You know that you're going to lose it with your kids. So it's really important to notice that. And then, you know, like I said, it's really hard to pull yourself back from that. So what I think is, is super important is to revisit those moments. And this is the prevention side of it. And to really revisit those moments whenever you are getting activated by your kids and putting in the emotional support so you can work on those triggers and stop them coming to the forefront so very often in your parenting. Um, because when you're getting triggered, 10 20 times a day it's really really hard to to keep pulling it back and keep keeping your cool so that is a big signal that you need more emotional support and you can do that through the, my favorite way of doing there's lots of ways to do it my favorite way of doing that is through listening partnerships through having another parent you can regularly go to and offload all the emotional tension and i speak that and speak about that in some of the other podcasts you can check that out and, and finally number seven is to get your needs met as a parent that you can't give from an empty cup um and i think especially if you i've already talked about doing things to to take care of your nervous system but what about all the other needs that you have because the thing is whenever you do things that bring you joy that you love doing then you will bring that joy and excitement and happiness and lightheartedness into your own home and you will share that with your children so uh, I invite you to think for a minute like all the things that you love to do um and what you would you know what would what would give you joy today if you were to do it and for some people that's creativity creating whether it's art or music or or writing and um, for some people it is being socially uh, being with people 
friendships, laughter, having fun with your with people that make you feel good. Um, that can be that, that can bring that brings me so much joy. Um, and um, it's also maybe about being in your community. The sense of belonging is really, really important too. So finding people that are on the same wavelength of you as you and spending time with them and having purpose and doing things that have meaning to you. Uh, for other people, it's it's more about movement, um, about exercise, being outdoors, using their body. So whatever it is that brings you joy and whatever it is you're craving at the moment, if you can find a really small way to meet that need, then you are going to be able to um, to give that back to your kids. You're going to be more energized, more joyful, more able to be playful with them, more able to be patient, more able to have that perspective and to remain calm in the moment. Um, so and a lot of this is about getting your own needs met on an individual level but it's really important at the community level as well that we are social beings and we need the we need to be in community with each other as well it's a real basic need for us so the more we can get out and be with other people and be in community then the easier all of this is and the more support that we we feel more supported as parents um, whenever we have community around us so that's so any way that you can find it's worth the investment if you can find ways to invest in in um, creating that type of community and being part of community and um, that can really ease the burden of parenting as well okay so um those are my seven ways to keep your cool when your child is is struggling or is really pushing your buttons there's so much there. And like I said, it's not it's not simple. These It's not simple to parent. It's not simple to be in close emotional relationship with our children. And we need lots of support systems in place. Um, we need lots of resources. We need um, to really, I think it's like being an, an elite athlete. Like we need to be in this prime condition to be able to be fully emotionally available for our children and we need in order to do that we need this whole support team around us can't do it in isolation and um, so the more support we can find the more community we can find um, then the easier it is to put these principles into practice so I have really enjoyed talking about this today if there's anything that stands out to you I would love for you to share with me I love hearing from all of you um, and if you want to hear more about this more about these ideas then I invite you to come along to my next monster class why your kids won't listen and what you do what you can do about it the next one is on Tuesday the 8th of November at 8 p.m UK time um, and you're so welcome I'll pop the link in the show notes of how you can register you're so welcome to come along and to listen about listen to me talk about um, the three steps that I use to create a more peaceful home many of these ideas come into it um, and uh, you're so welcome to to come along and, and be inspired and hear more about how you can um, show up and be calm be patient and parent with respect and parent in the way that you really want to. So I would absolutely love to see you there. And I will be back again next week. Thank you so much.
Would you like to get your kids listening so you don't have to shout and instead you can start enjoying being a parent? Then pop along to my website, pamtheparentcoach.com or follow the link in the show notes to get signed up to my next virtual masterclass. See you next time.